we heard this scene as uh, Jonathan read it from Matthew's gospel, Jesus in the garden. Uh, and we've heard, you know, this beautiful rendition of it as well. I just want you to picture that in your minds. It's it, the heart of the scene as Jesus is there with a few of his disciples close by. You got to picture this. This is before Jesus gets betrayed by Judas. Uh, it's before he gets arrested, um, which leads him towards the cross. And it's in this moment, there's this wrestling that he has with the will of his father. And that might sound strange because we worship Jesus as God. And yet, probably in one of the, the most um, maybe vivid expressions of his humanity, he's, he's wrestling with the, with the will of God the Father. And it leads to this moment where he's going to give his life and the course of his life is going to shift uh, after this moment. And it, this scene and where it lands in the Gospels feels unique, you know, like that Jesus is praying, that he's in the garden, that it feels so somber. And yet it's not really that unique because this, this place where Jesus is praying, he's gone before. In fact, Luke tells us uh, it, was, it was like he did this often. Luke says that it was, uh, it was his custom to go pray there. And the Mount of Olives was um, a really well-known part of where, where they lived, where they were. And the bottom of the mountain had this urban garden called Gethsemane. And it, Luke tells us that, that Jesus went there often. It was his custom to go pray there. So as much as the scene is unique to us, it wasn't unique to Jesus. Jesus probably spent a lot of time there. And if, if you have developed a life of prayer, there's probably a place you like to pray. Uh, maybe there's a place in your house or maybe there's a place in your neighborhood or near your house that you enjoy praying. Jesus seemed to go to this place. So it was a familiar place. It's this pattern almost Jesus has. And it's really good for us to see this because it's very rare for any of us to ever fulfill God's will in our lives if we're not praying, if we're not if we don't have this familiar pattern or practice of prayer. And Jesus, even though he's God's son, shows us this. This is like probably like Jesus' prayer closet, this garden. But it was unique because what he was praying for and the emotions that we see Jesus is almost startling to us. We probably don't even want to see these kind of emotions in Jesus because we worship him, and yet we see the struggle he has Luke tells us that when, he, when he's praying and he tells the disciples to wait, that he, kneel, he literally kneels down to pray. So we, there's this posture that Jesus takes. Sometimes when we pray, like, we're, like if we're praying uh, in, in a kind of victorious way, we're just, maybe we're walking or we're standing and we, maybe we lift up our hands and we're like, yeah, God, I'm looking for this or could you help me in this area? But when you kneel, right, when you kneel, it's different. And, and the posture that Jesus has when he kneels is a different posture. He's, he's really, it's this moment of, of surrender. It's this moment of, of almost um, desperation. In fact, Jesus tells his disciples, Matthew tells us that he says, I'm deeply grieved even to the point of death. And Matthew says that he throws himself to the ground. I don't know if you've ever prayed and thrown yourself to the ground to pray, but Jesus, Jesus throws himself to the ground in this moment to pray. So emotions are very high in this moment in the garden. And it's a serious moment. So we see the, pa- the pattern of Jesus. He goes there often. We see the posture of Jesus kneeling to the ground. We see this prayer of Jesus. And it's one of the most revealing prayers, vulnerable prayers that we read of Jesus. It says, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Matthew says, if it's possible, that's how Matthew tells us, 
that Jesus says, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. And so, you know, for, for a Jew in that time and understanding some of the context of the Old Testament, the cup would have meant like, like the cup would have, would have represented God's will. You know, drinking the cup would have meant I'm, I'm going to pursue God's will. W- whatever's in this cup, I'm going to drink it. It's going to go down and I'm, I'm in, right? And uh, I don't know if you've ever, if you've ever seen, been with a team at work or maybe you've worked on a project with people or maybe you've hung around with some people and it's just before like something really important coming up and the day before you got, you're all ready and so you all hang out together and you share a meal and maybe you're sharing some drinks and you're like, okay, tomorrow's the day. We're in. We're doing this. We're making this happen. And, and it's that moment, it's the symbolic moment of like I'm embracing this. I'm embracing this. And the cup for Jesus and for even a Jew at that time would have represented fulfilling God's will, going all the way. And so Jesus knew what that next step was. And when, he take, when he's thinking of this cup, he's thinking of this next step. He's thinking, this is God's will. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drink this because I'm committed. And in some ways, he's like, well, as I drink this, not, not physically, but I'm walking into this. I'm moving forward. And the cup in that moment, because God's will in that moment meant death for Jesus. He was, he was walking towards the cross. He was walking towards the crucifixion. This moment was going to shift towards what life was like before and what life was like after. Because it leads to the betrayal. It leads to the arrest. It leads to the cross. And in that cup for Jesus was the weight of sin. The sin of the world was the gravity of sin, was, was the depth of sin, was Jesus knowing that as he drank that cup or as he, as he walked into God's will, he was going to become, he was coming face to face with evil. God's justice and judgment was coming upon evil and God was using Jesus' death as a way to say this. So his posture and his prayer turns to something really unique that we read in Luke's gospel. It it's, turns to like, actually, we see it in Jesus' in Jesus sweating, in his perspiration. It's strange, but Luke says that in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. In anguish. So Jesus was in anguish. He prayed more earnestly. And then Luke tells us, and Luke was a doctor. Luke was a historian. Luke was, as he, as he, you know, as he writes this story, he gives us his detail. And it seems important to Luke because it's something that's going on in Jesus spiritually that's being reflected physically. And Luke says that there was sweats that Jesus sweat drops of blood when he was praying. Uh, that's like, th- there's this medical condition, I might say it right, it's called hematohydrosis, and it's a blood disorder. But doctors say that this blood disorder is when blood comes through your pores. But there's people that don't have this disorder that when they're experiencing extreme, extreme stress and anxiety, that it's possible that because they're so stressed out, because they're so anxious, because, like Luke says, they're in so much anguish that, they, that blood comes through their pores. Have you ever, I mean, I've never been that anxious. I've been anxious. I've been stressed. I remember there was a moment I, I made a decision and I knew it was the wrong one. And I knew I had to change the decision within a day. And the day later, I spent about four hours just digging earth in my front lawn because I didn't know what else to do. I was so stressed out. I had to let out this stress and this anxiety. Somehow I knew I had to turn the decision around and call the person, but I was so nervous. I was so stressed. All I could do was take a shovel and dig earth. But no blood came out of my pores. Like, I wasn't that stressed. I wasn't in that much anguish. 
And our Savior was. He was in anguish. He was deeply grieved. He threw himself on the ground to pray. Because this prayer was this, this faithful step, this, this, this normal, like when, if a normal human weakness would not have made this step, a normal human decision would have been like, no, 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 I'm not going to do this. Three times Matthew says that Jesus prays, not what I want, but what you want, God. Or in Luke's version, not my will, but yours be done. And that gets to the purpose of what Jesus is is shifting to in the garden. Like he's praying and he's seeking God's will. He's wrestling with what's next. And, 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 now, and, and he moves to really saying, God, if this is your will. This is your will. I mean, if there was a way to avoid this whole part of my journey, this whole part of, you know, how, how the world's going to be restored, if, if, we could like, if we could like skip over this step. But he says, not what I want, what you want, not my will, but yours be done. And Jesus gets to the purpose of where he walks. And Jesus walks into God's purpose, the cross, to restore humanity by destroying sin and death with his death. That's what he decides in that moment. He, he decides, he decides, he says, I'm going to be faithful to fulfilling God's plan. I'm going to be faithful to fulfilling God's will. I'm going to be faithful to God's purpose. The purpose we have, they have together with the Spirit to restore humanity by destroying sin and death. And I want you just to notice a second because it's so vital. Jesus didn't just come to this moment because I want you to remember, he, he had this pattern. He went, to the, he went to that garden often. He prayed. He spent time with God. He, he had conversation with his heavenly Father. He, he pursued his will. He, he prayed often. His posture was one where, where this, this was part of him, his, his time with God, surrendering himself to God's will to reach God's purpose. And he did that for us. He did that for all humanity. He wanted to faithfully follow God's will, faithfully fulfill God's purpose. And we see the, probably one of the most human moments of Jesus there. And, and here's the beauty of this happening in a garden. Gethsemane was the garden at the bottom of the Mount of Olives. And if you, you know, we all know what happens in gardens. People plant things, right? And seeds get thrown into dirt. But for, for that seed to grow, for, for a seed to grow up and to become a plant, it, ha- it has to die to itself. And I was thinking about that. How both ironic and beautiful that Jesus is praying this prayer in the garden. And maybe that's why he chose a garden to pray in all the time. Maybe he went to that garden all the time because he, his life was, he knew his life was meant to be given for others. Not to be served, but to serve others. Like a seed dies to itself. And when it dies, then it, it, it raises up. And it's, Jesus is praying this prayer in this garden. Jesus is that seed. Jesus dies. And something new is going to grow out of his death. Something brand new, something powerful, something revolutionary, something that's going to shift all of humanity, something that will change the course for anyone and everyone who will embrace who Jesus is happens in a garden where seeds go to die. Jesus went and he decided, I'm, I'm going to my death. 
But what I love about this is historians tell us that Gethsemane was an urban garden. So it means like people spend time there. If you see pictures of Gethsemane, they don't look as dark as this. Like Google Gethsemane in, in Israel and you'll see in Palestine, you'll see that, that it, like, it looks like a place where you might take a walk with your dog and hang out and take a walk with friends or picnic. It was an urban garden. People hang out there. People spend time there. It was a place where humanity spent time. And I, I love that idea that Jesus, he prayed this prayer in an urban urban garden prayed this prayer in an urban garden for all of humanity for all of humanity jesus seated himself in god's purpose for the sake of humanity that is why good friday is good that's why good friday is good that's why what we're doing tonight we're celebrating good friday not bad friday not despair friday good friday because jesus seated himself in an urban garden. That's what he prayed so all of humanity could find something new. I'm going to ask the team to come up. We're going to transition to a moment of communion tonight. And as we we come to this moment tonight with the bread and with the wine, um, Luke tells us that when Jesus went to the garden, when Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, uh, Luke says that his disciples followed him. And I, I love that, that image we get, that detail that Luke gives us, that the disciples followed Jesus there. And, and I, I wonder tonight, as we take a moment, as we enter into this time of communion, I guess my question to all of us, and really a question for why we're here tonight, and I know that there's some here because Good Friday means something to them and, and, and it's maybe something of their memory or their past and they're like, I want to be at a Good Friday gathering. Um, I know many of us are here because we're followers of Jesus and we, we, love to, we, we want to just take this time and, and revel in the depth and the purpose of the cross. But just like the disciples follow Jesus to the garden, I just wonder, just a question for me and for you is like, will we follow Jesus to the garden? Will we, will we follow Jesus to where he's going, to where he's leading, to what he's doing, to what he's involved in. Will we, will we follow Jesus in our schools? Will we follow Jesus in our workplaces? Will we follow Jesus in our homes and in our neighborhoods and in our day-to-day lives? And in a way, really, will we follow Jesus like the pattern of Jesus, the posture of Jesus, the prayer of Jesus, so we could be involved in God's purpose like Jesus was? So as we take communion tonight, Maybe that's just the question we ask ourselves. The big question is, will we follow Jesus to the garden? Will we follow Jesus to the garden? You guys can begin as we move through this moment. Um, Taking communion on Good Friday is is extra special because we get a chance to to really, as we said, slow down and, and be intentional and Think about all these elements. Think about um, this particular days and week in Jesus' life. And uh, officially in the course of like how things go, you know, the Last Supper happens on a Thursday. Then he is crucified on a Friday. But we, we have this this moment where we can we celebrate these two elements. And I would just kind of remember this, that every time you eat bread and drink the cup, this is what we're doing. We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So let us now, in proclaiming the death of God, God's humble, suffering servant, our Lord Jesus Christ, we join together. As we're going to take these elements, we are joining together to proclaim the death of God's humble and suffering servant, Jesus Christ. God, as we head out in just a few moments, Lord, we head out into Holy Saturday, a day of waiting. May we be reminded of the wait, even of the despair of Christ's first disciples, of those who felt lost, abandoned, as if there was no tomorrow and no victory. God, may we sit with that reminder as we approach Easter Sunday. Teach us to wait, God, in that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.